0: So let me take a few minutes this morning and talk to you about this king. You see, the Easter story and the entire story of the gospel, your story and my story, they're found within it. But ultimately, we are not the central character in this story. Jesus is. And at the heart of any successful rescue is this word rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. Rejoice. And so if Kea or Bruce... Justin or Catherine, if they jumped into a pool or a body of water and thought they were fine and all of a sudden began to become in trouble, they began to flail or maybe they began to bop a little bit or bop one too many times, they would be in a perilous situation. But if there was somebody present, like a lifeguard who was trained to be looking and knew what to do, then in the midst of all of the story, of everyone else in the pool, they could find Kea and Bruce and Justin and Catherine and they could locate them in the water and they would then begin to pursue them or say, a rescue mission. And if they were successful in redeeming them out of the water, if they were successful in doing so, the family of Kea and Bruce and Justin and Catherine, the families would rejoice Because what was such a danger is no longer a danger. And if you've had any lifeguard training at all, one of the very first things that they tell you is if you have a life ring, throw that in. Because the person who's in danger is also the one that if you swim out, there can be not one drowning but two. Because in their fear, they're going to grab a hold of you and begin to pull down. You see, here's the truth today for not only Kea and Justin and Catherine and Bruce. Here's the truth is that if you go through the Old Testament, you can see that God sent signs and some grabbed hold of them and God sent prophets and some grabbed hold of them. But the story of Easter is that you and I, all of us, are in need of rescue And Jesus doesn't send a sign, he sends himself. And all of humanity does, the very thing that they warn could happen is they put him to death. And we want to talk about this central story this morning because here's the reality. In January, together, we started to pray for Kea. Together, we have been praying for Bruce. We have been praying for Justin. Justin. And lastly, we have been praying for Catherine. And here's the reality of the gospel. Is most of them, and these four in particular, they may not know that they're in need of rescuing. Because in life, they feel fine. I mean, other people in need are rescuing, especially broken people or bad people. But good people aren't in need of rescue. But you see, the story of the gospel it doesn't start with brokenness, it starts in a garden and we see beauty. We see this whole book of the gospel, the book of the Bible open up and we see that we as humanity are created in the image and likeness of God, male and female, that we are beautiful. Turn the person beside them, look right beside you, look them right in the eyes and say, You are beautiful. Now follow it up one more time with you are beautiful, because they didn't believe you the first time. You see, you and I are created as, as image bearers of God. We're created in relationship with God that's beautiful. There's nothing that separates us from God whatsoever. And there is this tree planted in the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That God's intent is that we would have life, which is in relationship with Him, where we flourish. But we chose as humans to touch and to bite and to to ingest the one thing that God said, don't touch this. But we were deceived because temptation always deceives us that God somehow is holding out on us. That on the other side of that is the freedom, is the, is the enjoyment, is the pleasure. That's what we were really created for. But all of humanity was created to be in relationship with God. But we believed the lie that God was holding out on us. And so we felt prayed as humans to temptation. So it doesn't start with brokenness, but brokenness enters the story and you and I are broken, and that the Scripture says over here that we were naked and that we were unashamed, and then the Scripture says that as soon as we partake of sin, we know somehow that we are naked and shame enters the world, and the very first place you see religion is when Adam and Eve try to take cloths and cover their brokenness from God, try to take human things and cover, but God can see right through that stuff. And in that moment, God begins a rescue plan for all of humanity that is going to be cultivated in the person. Or cult- This is the pinnacle moment we see in the person of Jesus. You see Catherine and Justin and Bruce and Kea and you and I. The offense of the gospel is this, that you and I outside of Christ need Rescue. And so as Jesus emerges on the scene, there is miracle and there is teaching and there is prophecy being fulfilled and fulfilled and fulfilled and fulfilled and fulfilled. And some of you say, man, it takes a lot of faith just to follow Jesus. But if you knew the statistical reality of Jesus fulfilling even a quarter of these prophecies, it was, st- it was statistically impossible. It's, it was more impossible than for me to say the word statistically. But the reality is He didn't just fulfill some, He fulfilled all of them. And I also want you to hear with both ears and your whole heart this, that there are more prophecies about His coming back than there was about His coming. And He is the same one who will be faithful to fulfill every ounce of it. So the story of Easter, we see this pinnacle week called Holy Week, which we're coining now, obviously. And Holy Week is where we see Jesus give him fully to humanity. And humanity doesn't celebrate him the entire week. But it starts with celebration. You see, in Psalm chapter 118, the psalmist writes these words The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then it says this, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And it says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us what? Let us, let us rejoice, there's that word, and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And then here's the line. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we bless you from the house of the Lord. You see, this phrase was reserved for special occasions, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As was the taking of palm branches and having them be broken off of the tree and placed on the ground and then the royal person would come in as Pastor Adam eloquently shared a moment ago, normally riding on a horse, but Jesus comes in on a donkey, on a colt, fulfilling prophecy. Because you need to see that Jesus is the greatest leader that this world has ever known. And He comes not in the power and the way in which other kings come. He comes in humility because He has come to serve, not to be served. Because this is a rescue mission for you and for me and for Kea and for Bruce and for Catherine. The gospel isn't that we are bad people that become good. The gospel is, and why we have been praying for every name and the names represented on the back wall and the names on your heart while we're praying is because they are dead to the gospel and they need to be born again. Until you were born again, you can't even see it. So church, make no mistake, there is nothing we can do through song or sermon to change a heart, but we serve a God who is all-powerful, who can pierce the heart and do what we cannot do. Church, Easter is supernatural. It is not merely traditional, it is so much more. And so the Scripture says that here is Jesus, and He begins to make His way into Jerusalem and the crowds are gathered. Truthfully, most were seeing it through a political lens or even a military lens. Most were seeing it from the perspective of, is the Messiah going to be the one who's going to come, who's going to set us free from the oppression of Rome, the ruling, the ruling might or political might of the day? And Jesus comes as a king like no other king. And in Matthew chapter 21, verses 7 to 11, Palm Palm Sunday reads this way. It says, "'They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting.'" They were what? "'Shouting' because they weren't Canadians.'" Has anyone ever seen any, any, any newsreel of the Middle East? They shout, passionate. Canadians, it would have said, they politely said, Hosanna. If that's not offensive. If it's offensive, it's a small h, Hosanna. That's our culture. Hosanna to the son of David, Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then they said, Hosanna in the... In the highest, the ultimate praise that we can give you. And then in the next verse, verse 11, you begin to see inklings of the central question for every human life that was also evident 2,000 years ago. It's not a new question, it's the same question. It says, And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Everyone say revival, an awakening, a renewal. There was this move, the whole city was stirred. They were stirred up, and here's what they said, who is this? Because they've heard the stories, and they've heard about the teaching, and they maybe heard about the miracles, and the whole city is stirred. But they're stirred around three words, which is the central question, who is Jesus? Is he just a prophet? Is he just a priest? Or is he just a king? Is he just like everybody else? Or is he something altogether different? Who is Jesus? And you can see they answer the question absolutely truthful, but not in the full scope of truth. Because they say, well, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And I need you to know, church, he was a prophet, but he was so much more than just a prophet. And so they have partial understanding of what he is, but not full understanding of what he is. And if you read the story, Jesus is pulled before religious leaders, and the central question that they ask him is, who are you? He's pulled before the strongest, most powerful military or political force at that time on the planet, Rome. He's pulled before the might of Rome. And the central question is, who are you? You see, the central question for all of humanity in everyone's heart, whether it's Kea, Bruce, Catherine, or yours, it's who is Jesus? He's the one who divides time. Before Him and after Him. Who is Jesus? It's a moment that is filled with hope and possibility. The wonder of what could be, could He be? Could He be the King? Although He doesn't look like it coming on a colt and a donkey, but could He be? Those who had an ear to hear could maybe begin to wrestle with it, or who could He be? But then something happens in the story. You see, in the original story of I told you a moment ago, when you and I are created in the image and likeness of God, the Scripture says that we are naked and that we are unashamed. I like how Jerry Seinfeld says, even when naked, I still wear a belt because I've got to have somewhere to put my hands. I just think that's a wise man. See, the Scripture says that you and I are naked and that we're unashamed, and today we have more clothing, What we've had never been more clothed, but yet felt more naked and full of shame. And that's the result of sin. But the God of heaven is betrayed in a garden, and this garden is called Eden. And now, when you fast forward through Palm Sunday, and you see Jesus praying in a garden called Gethsemane, the garden of the olive press. And the God of heaven is once again betrayed in a garden by one closest to Him. And the central question when they come into the garden, of course, is, who are you? And like we talked about last week, Jesus steps forward and He says, I am. And the power of God flows in the garden. See, because as we've been talking about the last number of weeks in Me But Free, Moses was a powerful prophetic voice, and Jonah was a prodigal prophet, but Jesus is our better Moses, and Jesus is our better Jonah, and Jesus is our king, and our king is going to do what no king has ever done before. He is going to use all the power on earth to serve, not to be served. And He is not going to turn it upside down. It already is. He's going to turn it right side up. You see, the way we understand leadership, the way we understand power is upside down. The way Jesus shows it is the right side up. And what begins to happen in the crowd as Jesus is arrested, the religious leaders begin to whisper falsehoods about Him. And how many of you know that rumors spread five times faster than truth? And it begins to permeate the crowd, and they begin to stir up the crowd. They begin to take all the pressure that they can, and they can cause it to press in on people. And all of a sudden, the same ones who said, Hosanna... Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The same ones in just a few moments are going to begin to utter different sentences about who he is. But remember, it's not a story about us, it's a story about him. We are the sub-characters, we are the supporting characters, he is the main actor in the story. But what begins to happen in the hearts of the individuals, the same thing that happens in my heart, the same thing that happens in your heart, the same thing that the proverb writer wrote about in Proverbs 13, verse 12, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And then it says, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. There's something that happens in the heart of a crowd. Could this be the one... And then all of a sudden, he's arrested, and all the hope with him is arrested, and then all the pressure of religion begins to push, and this feels all too familiar if your story has been one of... Freedom and then oppression, freedom and then oppression, freedom and then oppression. And if that's the story, the heart is don't get your hopes high only to get them dashed. And so it's ripe in this place. You know, specific sicknesses have very specific symptoms. Time out. If you ever experience a symptom, never, ever go to Google. Google. Go to God. Don't go to Google. I mean, that's a recipe for fear. You may just have a common cold, okay? But when our hearts and when our hope is deferred, when we believe so deeply and then it appears, though, uh uh-oh, I've seen this story before. Uh Uh-oh, I've experienced this before. Uh Uh-oh, I know where this leads. When our hope is deferred, it says it makes our hearts sick. It doesn't make us sick on the outside. It makes us sick on the inside. It makes our hearts sick. And we begin to experience disappointment again, like here we go again. Discouragement, I've seen this story one too many times. Disillusionment, why bother getting my hopes up? Why should I even try? resignation, I guess this is what it is or what it always will be, and then eventually returning to old patterns, returning to old ways, returning to the ways that we have only known and not pushing through to breakthrough for new ways that we have not yet experienced. Heart sickness. It's almost as though the crowd that day only saw one enemy, and the enemy was Rome. The enemy may have been religious oppression, And as soon as those enemies began to grab hold of Jesus, they thought it was over. They've seen this story time and time again, but Jesus was not sent on a rescue mission for Rome alone. He was sent on a rescue mission to set us free from a sickness that was on the inside, Jesus said, that has infected all of humanity. That yes, you can look to others and say, well, I may be better than they are or better off than they are. But the Scripture says in Romans 3 verse 23, for all of humanity has sinned. We have fallen short of God's standard. Every single one of us have a heart sickness. Every single one of us are in need of a Savior. Every single one of us need rescue. Every one of us, whether we can see it or not, outside of being saved are drowning in a sea of humanity. I believe there's something prophetic that we can see in the Palm Sunday story. If you or I were to go to Jerusalem and we were to locate a palm tree and we were to disconnect a branch from that tree, a green branch, one that was luscious and full of life, how many of you know the moment it's disconnected from that tree, it will look identical to all the other branches on the tree? It won't initially look the color of the seat that you're sitting on. For those of you online, it's beige. It won't look withered initially. It will simply look like every other branch on the tree. But given some time, that branch that has been disconnected from the source will begin to look different In church, look around at humanity disconnected from the source of life. We look different. God's heart is not only to forgive us. God's heart is to restore us as image bearers of Him. But we look different. Jesus said over and over again, before the Holy Week, before Passover, before Palm Sunday, which we now call Palm Sunday. For them, it was just Sunday Sunday. Here's what Jesus said, "'Abide in Me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it,' what? Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Then the offensive thing that Jesus says is, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Turn the person beside you and say nothing. 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 We are bankrupt to save ourselves. That we need a Savior. We need one to rescue so that we can truly rejoice. See, we can rejoice with emotion. We can rejoice in lots of different places. But if the circumstance changes sometimes our tune can change. You see, the goal of the North American model of life is the pursuit of happiness. The goal of the Scriptures is the pursuit of holiness. What's on the bullseye of your target? I'm not downplaying happiness. I hope you experience lots of happiness, but at the end of the day, happiness is fleeting, but joy is a well from, in, with, from within. It's different. It's different. No root, Jesus said, no fruit. No root, and we can become as effective as a disconnected palm branch. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26, and He said this before the cross, and man, how these words must have sounded to their ears, but they were prophetic about what is to come. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will what? Will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, you're going to find it. For what will it profit a man? What will it profit a woman? What will it profit someone if they gain the whole world, but they forfeit their soul And then Jesus asks this rhetorical question, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? John 12, 24 to 26, Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you, turn the person beside you and say he's talking to you, that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life, I must lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. My father preached a message over and over and over again as I was young, and then into my teen years, and then into my older years. If you live with earth stamped on your eyes, then that's all you'll see, and it's all you'll get. We as followers of Jesus are meant to live life with eternity stamped on our eyes, which doesn't mean that you don't see earth, you just don't value it as the greatest treasure that you have. Again, the bullseye on your target, the vision through which you see is different. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him, the Scripture goes on to say. And Jesus is arrested. He's falsely accused. He's brought before power. In some instances, he speaks. In other instances, he remains silent. Every question is about who he is. But this was not a moment for teaching for Jesus. This was a moment for doing. Because without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sin. Because our beauty is unimaginable, but so is our brokenness. Come on, watch the news. Jesus said a moment ago, what what will we give for the value of a soul? And we as humans, if it means we get ahead, we consistently devalue the soul of others. It's the sickness, Jesus said. See, for them, the greatest enemy was Rome. But for Jesus, the greatest enemy was from within Jesus taught, that's where all these things come from. It's not hacking away at the branches. It's let me get on the inside and bring healing into this place. So for the crowd on that day when Jesus was arrested, all they could see is the power of Rome. And I want to remind you, church... In 2019, there's something that you know far too well, is that Rome with all its might fell and 2,000 years later, His truth keeps marching on. What we see in seed form in a Savior continues to spring. Did you know today on planet Earth, there are over 2 billion followers of Jesus you watch the news, you may feel, not feel that way, but you need to know God is moving all around the world, that there are rescues of Kaya's and Bruce and Catherine's And Justin's happening every single day. You may have asked and invited, and the answer's been no, and it's been no, and it's been no, and it's been no. Keep praying, keep asking, keep praying, keep asking, keep praying, keep asking, keep praying, keep asking. Why? Because you never know. God didn't give up on us, so let's not give up on them. I want to remind you that if you read the whole story, what you see Is Jesus coming meek and mild, riding on a donkey? I want to let you know that that's how he came the first time. If you get through to Revelation, the only way that John knew how to write write it was the majesty, the incomparable reality of this king is he's not coming back on a colt. It says that he is riding a white horse and he's got fire in his eyes and it's terrifying in terms of who he is. And I use the word terrifying in a gloriously worshipful, beautiful way in which to say that he is all Altogether over every form of injustice that the world has experienced. He is the name above every other name. He is the Lord of all lords and He's the King of all kings. He is more powerful than any political power on earth has ever been. He is more powerful than any corrupt regime that has ever been. He is more powerful than any injustice, whether that is personal or systemic. He is the name above every other name. He is the king above all kings, and he is coming back. And he's not coming back meek and mild. He is coming back as king. So what can we learn from Palm Sunday? Well, we can learn that every single one of us, compared to who He is, is in need of rescuing, that He's as close as the mention of His name, that a God in the person of Jesus. As I mentioned a few moments ago in Luke 19.10, He came to seek and save that which was lost. And He's not going to send a sign, and He's not going to just give us a story, and nor is He going to give us a symbol of a cross. Church, we don't worship the cross. We worship the Savior who died on the cross, who transformed a symbol, as we heard a moment ago, who transformed a symbol of death into a symbol of hope. You don't often see people wearing necklaces with electric chairs on them because that would be weird. (laughs) You don't see them wearing necklaces with syringes on them with death by lethal injection because, again, that would just be really weird. But the cross was an instrument of brutality. But when our King touched it, He transformed it. Because our King alone transforms broken things and makes them beautiful. And our King is going to give His life so that you and I can have life. How many of you know next Sunday is a Resurrection Sunday? And here's what I want you... You will not come to church next week as a Canadian first you will come as a Christian first and a Canadian second, deal? Which means we will celebrate, we will hoop, we will holler, we will give handshakes, we'll give each other money, we'll just do it all, whatever. We're just... Someone online is now coming next week because they think, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, church is different. I'm coming to your church. No, but I want you to do something powerful because... This is the whole story. But this week, what I want you to do is I want you to anchor in everything that Jesus did the whole week. So today, I want you to anchor in the humility and that look of leadership and that when all the world pressed on him, when all the disciples were unfaithful, when even one said, I don't even, his name was Peter, said, I don't even know the man. When we were faithless as humans, he is faithful. When we are pressed and we scatter, he stood strong. And when he, in the garden, prays and says, I don't want basically, I don't want to go through this, not, he surrenders and says, not my will, yours be done, because this was all a story about restoring us to the Father.